Hello, welcome again to Brownline Church's Midweek Podcast. I'm Vince, and I'm here with Kyle. Hello. And today we're jumping off of Sunday's really fun conversation with our friend Barbara Cunningham about uh, three views on God and faith from a Latin American or a Chilean perspective. Uh, And uh, Barbie brought us through a really fascinating kind of history of uh, political suppression and dictatorship uh, in, in Chile and how that's led to uh, the development of her faith uh, as somebody who grew up there. And so we talked about this uh, by reason or by force, the thing that is on coins in Chile. And we talked about uh, how breaking free from uniformity and from uh, rationality as an oppressor allows you to find God as like the one place you can go to speak your whole mind and heart. Uh, Kyle, where should we go next with this, uh, what, what Barbie left us with? There's a couple of things that really stuck with me afterwards that I was thinking through in terms of like implications for how, how I might shift how I approach a few things in my own life. There's something she said, uh, which is there's a, a, a Spanish saying that essentially translates to you eat the chicken and leave the bones, uh, which kind of speaks to this idea that um, at least in what she was talking about in the American context, and I think this is probably true, is that Americans tend to see what's wrong first and then have a hard time like finding the good if we don't experience it as all good. I think you know you see this in our movies and everything that there's a clear all good guy and all bad guy and you know i think i've always been intrigued with the complex person that is not all one or the other and that feels like uh even when we're wrestling with understanding from different cultures you know i think a lot of the way that i've heard these conversations happen in the past have been where you know a predominantly white setting will be normally a a normalized experience of of learning from like white theologians from america or europe and then there's kind of like this this experience we've talked about it's almost like an extracurricular which is like learning from a different culture and my experience is there's there's pretty quickly a sense of like oh yeah that's interesting but let me point out the parts of this that are problematic and like there's a very much a a quick uh get it back to what's normal exactly like the sense of like well that's this isn't all good let's not you know let's not all of a sudden say we're replacing our our white european theology with this because clearly there's bad things in there too um whereas she talks about it from her context of of a society that is very much not allowing difference of opinion and so you don't really have the space to say no i don't agree with that you kind of just have to take it all in and then filter it out internally and so to me as somebody who tends to be cynical that was actually something i thought you know i wonder if i entered more interactions thinking hey let me first think about the chicken in this conversation and then i'll leave the bones afterwards opposed to kind of walking through every interaction kind of being like hey there's bones in this it's all bad um and i think that was a a helpful thing that's a frame that i think i may actually try to kind of incorporate a little bit more into my life so my sense is that um what we were getting there from barbie and then how you're elaborating on that is um is powerful because it's coming from a marginalized perspective Mm -hmm. um but uh, there's a there's a phrase that um, the the podcast group in our church has used quite a bit when we talk about um, differing perspectives in theology as we dig into the interviews that we listen to in this podcast. Uh, and the phrase is, it matters who says it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is that like when Barbie is bringing us into this idea of eating the chicken but leaving the bones, it makes so much sense um, because she is coming 
from the perspective that she shared of like political suppression is is the story of growing up Chilean. Um and yet um but what I think, you know, my 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 radar goes up when I hear something um it, it's interesting like when when you or I say mm-hmm. um well let's eat the chicken or, and and leave the bones, I think my um something we you and I have talked about a ton of times, but my both sides radar goes up mm-hmm. of like how does this not fall into that trap of like um you know like oh because we have to eat the chicken and and leave the bones we're going to excuse this egregious racist or in unjust behavior um because we're looking for the connecting factor um and uh, and so much of what we've i think so much of the national conversation and certainly the way that our church has tried to participate in the national conversation over the last two months has been to not fall into that trap mm-hmm. um but to recognize like actually um, when it comes to matters of injustice, to call a spade a spade is extremely important um, because it doesn't muddy the waters and make, you know, that kind of like false equivalency between this kind of bad behavior and this kind of bad behavior are basically the same when it's not, <laughs> you know, like we need, we need to make sure that racism and injustice and, and, uh, and scapegoating others and blame shifting um, it stays in the category of, hey, that's the thing that's like sort of the source of most evil right now. Um, so how do we avoid that? Because I, I, I just, I think of like the, well, it matter who's, it matters who says it. That's what comes to mind for me as you say that. Well, I think you touched on the, the very reason I, I found this an interesting thing to dive into. Cause I think we are in a culture right now where we're, where we're saying we're not going to be excusing, you know, little things here. Like it actually matters, um, the, that we're not saying, well, okay, well that person had good intentions or that person. And I think the heart of this is exactly what you're saying. It's, it's whose voice are we listening to and whose mm-hmm. voice is the one that we're speaking to. So I, I do think that actually when, when we consider, especially in the context of, of conversations around faith and politics is this idea of, uh, who has power who who is benefiting from the status quo for whom is this somewhat of an intellectual conversation because the stakes of it aren't felt and then for whom are the actual you know, i just read this thing on twitter that felt uh humbling to me where it essentially is like you know as a white guy i love to debate um the merits of things that don't affect me directly because the fodder of your rights i find quite interesting um mm-hmm. and my goal here is to exhaust you not actually to listen um and it was you know it's a little bit hyperbole but i do think that it, it what what i take away from what barbie said is, is not when i'm listening to kind of a, a trump republican that's excusing you know human rights violations because they somehow attribute something positive to like you know he's sticking it to the status quo kind of thing because that's coming from, that's a position of power but it's rather yeah. when i'm listening to somebody like barbie who's talking about coming from a chilean perspective it's almost like we have to tune our brains to think like am i the person here uh, that has more who, who comes from a position of power and privilege. Am I listening to somebody who comes from a position of power and privilege? And I think that the sense of like um, 
uh, how we listen does need to really change. And I think that there's a sense of if we're listening to people whose voices have been marginalized, we have to be like, there is chicken here. Like we, in the words of Jesus, we have to exalt the humble and we have to yeah. say, where is the chicken here? And if there's any little pieces here that I'm like, I'm not so sure what that says, like, oh, that feels problematic to me. The goal here is actually like to, to really eat that chicken and not all of a sudden be like, well, you know, black liberation theology is, you know, totally discard because I think there's a bone right here that I'm not sure about. However, on the opposite side, when we're, you know, humbling the exalted, when we're listening to the powerful, you know, you know, what, what's his name? Franklin Graham speak. We should be like, dude, those bones make this food inedible because of like the, the, the power of what's going yeah. on. We're not excusing away the kind of broken parts because we have to always be seeing through the lens of power and privilege because that's the way our society works. And if we don't do that, then we're falling into that ground of like believing, uh, equality over equity the sense of like oh of course their voices are equal except one of them has been in, held up and exalted for generations and the other one we still don't really fully listen to yeah i think actually what was coming to mind for me as you were saying that is the this difference of um equality versus equity uh you know a few years back um you gave a talk where you 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 dug us deep into that uh distinction and it's something that i think uh, many will be familiar with, but I'm curious, can you can you once again kind of walk us through the difference between equality and equity? Because I want to, well, after you do that, I want to make a point, uh, but I think it's really important that we dig into that. So tell us again, what uh, what's the difference between equality and equity? So, you know, I actually recently saw a new image describing this that feels like it did it um, even uh, better than any other image I've had before. So imagine we live uh, beneath a tree. And on one side of the tree, there's a certain people group that live on that side of the tree. And the other side of the tree are, are another people group that live on the other side of the tree. And on uh, the other side of the tree that I'm not on, it's such a low branch that you could just reach up and grab the fruit off the tree to eat. And not only that, that side, because it gets more sun, has like 50 times more fruits on it. So people can just reach up and grab it. My side of the tree, the way the branch is made is like 20 feet above my head. I can't even reach it. And because the way that the sun feeds the tree, my side of the tree actually is pretty scarce on apples. Um, and so equality would say... Well, it's just the same here. Like, you know, we're both humans. Equity acknowledges that because of some pre-existing realities, that side of the tree is able to feed themselves at, at little to no effort. Whereas my side of the tree, equity would say, needs to have uh, some additional supports and resources to actually have the same experience. So my side of the tree, we maybe need to get a ladder and a big apple pick in order to get to the things on our side of the tree. Um, and so that would be that would be equity is the idea that it's actually equal access through mm -hmm. through disproportionate resources that we actually need to make yeah. sure that the side of the tree that doesn't have access gets the resources to get equal access. And actually the evolution of this is how talking about equality, equity, and then justice. And so what justice would be, would be actually changing the system, rearranging the tree so that actually the, we're like, you know, what do you call those things? Those where you put wrap around a tree with a, with a stick and then you can kind of grow it in a different direction, whatever. But you do one of those things. Like actually, a stake? Yeah, you actually change the structure of the tree mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
so that it actually gets equal sun on both sides and equal fruit growth on each side. So you and don't then, have to have disproportionate in resources. Exactly. So equality is believing that we all have equal access. And so everybody should just have things the same. Um, like everyone just gets an apple picker. Who cares if your tree is only two inches above and mine's 20 feet. Equity is my side actually needs greater resources to have equal access. Justice is we actually readjust the structure of the situation to make sure that we all do have equal access with equal resources. And the truth is, I think we need to create equity in order to get to justice, because as long as there is no equity, all of the power will stay with the powerful. And so equity of creating greater resources to try to create equal access can actually try to elevate the power of the powerless so that they then have voice to create systemic change, which then can actually equal justice. That's great. Thank you for, for kind of bringing us back into that. So so the point I want to make is that um, because uh, our national conversation, I mean, this goes back well before you and I were part of national conversations, you know, just kind of the, the bread and butter conversations that fed our parents, I think is the equality conversation. The equality conversation has always been most important. And, uh, and so we've been most focused, not on outcomes, not on the access game, but on the resources game and making sure that those are the same, uh, which, as you just said, is, is a bit of a flawed enterprise uh, if we're talking about reaching justice. And, uh, and what I think that's, that's, that's meant is certainly with how faith is, uh, is discussed and certainly with how, how we talk about uh, how we form our image of God in this country, we miss how important equity is in this in in the god that we're talking about and so i think what we end up doing is when we read the scriptures when we read about the life of jesus what we miss is the power thing we miss how much power dynamics color everything that jesus did how when it when we talk about like the way jesus treated this person versus the way jesus treated this person power is maybe the most fundamental thing you can do to understand those things well is is seeing power is seeing how what jesus was focused on is access is the outcomes is equity is making bringing up even like as we've as we've quoted so many times jesus has maybe like the most ancient you know like perfectly encapsulated phrase on equity which is i came to humble the exalted and exalt the humbled you know i mean like that is saying like i came to bring equity that's not saying i came to bring equality uh and 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 i think that that's a really really missing um from our from our ability as a nation as a as a people who are again as we've been talking about in this series of discussions mostly formed by european american theologians we are not well practiced in seeing power behind what's happening in the life of jesus and therefore i think our imagination of who god is misses this huge huge element of like supposedly what this god is all about <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is an interesting perspective that I think that we got from Barbie, which is if you live in a country where power resides in like the government, like it's this, it's a dictatorship experience and they have the power. It's kind of like to be an, a human, to be a, to be just a citizen in that culture is in a lot of ways to, to not have power. It's having to submit to that. And so I think that this, the, the, the worldview that develops out of that, 
um, I think in a lot of ways has a lot more aligned with a uh, perspective of Jesus because it's almost like the powerlessness is bred into the people's culture when you live under a dictatorship and which like connects me to this idea also of like, so who is Jesus? Um, he is, what is freedom for him? It, it means that we can actually bring authentic wrestling to him. And I, the way I thought about it is like my, my thoughts and questions of dissent are actually like that Jesus is the receiver of my thoughts of dissent, which is a little bit kind of a hard experience for me growing up in American Christian culture, which felt very much like it's about assimilation. It's about making sure that you're staying within the boundaries of faith. Um, it's making sure like I always have the sense of like, you're allowed to ask questions until you get to a certain point and then you violate some unsaid code of questioning. And now you're no longer like asking honest questions. You're like tainted in that experience. You're, you're asking from the outside, but what if Jesus is the person that I go to with my most unsettled questions? So like when I'm reading the Bible or I'm experiencing um, something in life and I go, God, that, I mean, I don't know, that doesn't seem right to me at all. And then I'm going to him with that dissent, you know, for, for a white guy that seems a little, you know, different. But then when I begin to look at all of the cultures around us in the world that come from a place's of oppression, you realize like that's the foundation of faith for the majority of humanity is going to the God is the trustworthy person to, With to receive descent. my descent. Whereas mm -hmm. it's quite opposite for me and quite opposite for what we experience in our culture right now, which is we have no desire to listen to people that have diverging opinions and perspectives, which is only like double, triply so once you enter in the kind of religious frameworks around that. Well, once again, um, you know, a big a big dream of our church uh, really from the start has been to shift the narrative about God and the Bible. And this is a way that I think increasingly we're, we're coming to the realization uh, that what maybe the, maybe the biggest thing behind that desire that we've wanted to shift is like getting more toward this God of the oppressed. Like what is the, what's the immediate thing that comes to mind when you speak of God or when you speak of Jesus or when you speak of faith it's something more like what Barbie was describing than it is this uh, powerful God, uh, this um, God who's removed from suffering, not sort of like in the middle of it, not a not a a one who understands suffering, but one who's kind of far back from it, one who's um, who's observing things from the bleachers rather than uh, you know in in the game, and uh, and now I think as we as we centralize more views and perspectives that um, that feel a bit that actually have more similarity with the life that Jesus lived, I think we start to feel uh, a, a little bit more like, oh, that that's what we need to shift toward. I think it's it's a powerful thing to say to oppressed people that y y we're looking to a God of the oppressed. But what does it mean for oppressors, for people mm -hmm. who have been privileged to serve the God of the oppressed? That's a I think that's a really fascinating prospect i think obviously it's a it's one that that requires sacrifice and that requires you to go places and take risks and put your skin in the game but i there's something really beautiful about privileged people powerful people serving the god of the oppressed isn't there it's actually in my experience a much richer life as somebody who would be on the side of the oppressor the truth is what i have experienced is i don't need to feel shame I don't need to feel guilt mm -hmm. about who I am as a white man. I don't feel any. Actually, the truth is, I think shame and guilt are actually incredibly unhelpful in this situation. It's about acknowledging the reality of that and realizing, actually, my life is made richer 
when I get to participate in the kingdom of God coming to earth. My life is made richer when I am seeing uh, oppression cease. My life is made richer to be party to changing the status quo to bring about a more equitable and then ultimately a more just world. I feel far less anxiety and stress about like what's going on in the world because I feel caught up in in doing something to bring about a world that feels more in line with who God is. And that's actually what all of us want more than anything life to feel a sense of purposeness, a sense of connection, a sense of like movement. Like we're actually contributing to a world being a better place, which actually in turn, even if it means that I lose some of the advantages and privileges that I have in my life is actually a better experience for me because life in the end is not about my you know, advantages and privileges that I get to keep me in mind, but it's actually about living within a place where the image of God that exists within all human beings is allowed to flourish. And in turn, that that is a virtuous cycle that raises all ships. That's actually something that's better for all of us. And I don't need to feel afraid or worried or guilty or shameful about that. It's just about actually pursuing a better world, which in turn would be pursue a better version of my own life. You are the master of mixed metaphors, and I, I liked the virtuous cycle that raises all ships. It's a, how does, it's how does like that a, work? There's it's a, there's like a, a that it's tides like a are sort dam. of a cycle. No, it's so. like a dam that the cycle <laughs> rotates and brings in more water, and it lets it's like the lever. Of, uh, yes, boy, that just really captured it. Thank you, Kat. No, sorry, uh, but I no, I wanted to say I think that um, I think that this is where. Um, reminding ourselves how important the spiritual element to this is mm-hmm. is like if we believe that there is there is this magnetic god that um changes you by your your um your proximity to that god slowly affects you what you the the what the mystics would say like you you become what you love you mm-hmm. know and so like if if that's happening that that kind of um we're slowly becoming more like Jesus by spending more time with Jesus. And if, if Jesus is doing the equity game and we are being formed, then I think that that that's what you're talking about when we find that like, yes, sacrifice comes to those who are on, you know, who, who benefit from the status quo when you tear down the status quo. But you, because of that proximity thing where you become more like that thing that you are, that the, the beloved that you're spending time with, you start to realize like, what you want changes, what you desire changes, what you prize, what you are passionate about, what gives you life, what gets you up in the morning has changed as a result of spending time with that God. Uh, and that I think is, is, is something to keep in mind. Like it, that's not going to be something that we can quantify. Uh, and it's not going to make sense. Like if we're, if we're uh, on the, on the outset of that journey and we're sort of looking ahead and we're thinking, this is what we're going to, well, it, it makes sense that we might not be able to, uh, to see how that is a, a risen tide because of that virtuous cycle, uh, that, uh, that is in front of us. But once we get there, having traveled that by spending time with the Jesus who is bringing the kingdom of God, our we're changed in the process. And we find that that, that that is a much richer life than any of the benefits that I had uh, being the person who benefits from the status quo. You know, I think an interesting insight that I saw a lot of people walk through when pandemic first hit is the experience of Marie Kondo in a, in a uh, materialistic capitalist society. 
this idea that our society tells us that the things that we have is what gives us satisfaction and status and in many ways in, in a society that doesn't give a lot of sense of like on it's not an honor shame society so we, we're less yeah. defined by any other culture by our family status the the way that like kind of where we fall in the the hierarchy of society and our, a lot of ways our money and our things are a lot of our status our um, appearance yeah. exactly and like the beauty of Marie Kondo is the recognition that actually your life is better with less things that to figure out what you have and like to this and like you saw this whole the whole country was like oh this is such a wonderful experience and i think we all know that instinctively that there's a version of the narrative in our mind that says uh, accumulation protection maintaining what i have is what is good and thus the fear of losing my things the fear of losing my money the fear of losing those things is like deeply embedded within us but i think having that experience uh, i know i've certainly had those experiences of like that the worst thing that could happen was that i graduated college and couldn't find a job terrible worst thing in the world it's ridiculous however I can look back on that now and say, actually, those years of having so little forced me to think about what I actually want in my life. You know, there, there certainly was privilege within me that I wasn't in a position, you know, like where I was totally left without any devices. Like my privilege in a lot of ways had got me to a college degree, which allowed me to go teach abroad. So that certainly owning those things. But I think this narrative that we often feel of like, well, if I lose something, well, that's going to be the worst when the truth is often that's not true that often that like if we lose the things we have that that's not always a, a, a loss and actually many people experience in the vein of Marie Kondo losing the things you have is actually a richer and fuller experience of life and in some ways if we can think about privilege like that this idea that like perhaps losing some of my privilege may be a freeing experience losing some of my privilege may be a richer experience of life um, but it's just as a capitalist materialist society that feels so counterintuitive. Yeah. Of course, more is better. That That's what we're founded on, right? So you're saying less for me is actually not just less for me because, you know, those have people have need, but actually less for me would be better. Like I would have a better experience of life in a more equitable society. It's a really hard thing for us to wrestle with. And I think we, we see that in some ways uh, when we're looking at uh, like, the, the stories of, of, of other guys, I can't get over how often I feel jealous mm. when I listen to people like Barbie or when I listen to people that have these really robust, connective experiences of community. And it's like the sense of like, of sure, I have lots of privilege and things, but like, what do I really want? I really want connection. I really want community. I want to feel seen in this world. And so I would freely give up a lot of the privileges I had and then have a richer experience of actually a more relationally connected world. It's just a little backwards in my American mind. Yeah, well, that certainly makes me curious um, how we can bring in um, to this this God of the oppressed discussion a non-capitalist, non-materialistic perspective. And that's interesting because that's the stratification that that looks at, the power dynamics that that looks at is a little bit different than some of the others that we've looked at, which are happening in capitalistic uh, environments. Mm -hmm. So we just have, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, impoverished versus wealthy. It's um, um, white supremacy versus non-white marginalization. And, and this would be a different one. It would be looking at somebody who's just like totally outside of 
capitalism. But man, what a that that's such a powerful force in the entire globe today. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's it's hard to wonder where could we get that perspective. But may, maybe history. I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see where that goes because I think that what you're saying we've gotten a picture of as a result of um, COVID nineteen and the economy shutting down is it, it's it's a window into something. I think learning from some honor shame cultures where our sense of identity and who we are mm-hmm. is formed in some other ways. Yeah, that's a good window. Yeah, the time I spent in Southeast Asia shifted a lot of things for me of like what is considered valuable, what is con- what, what is held up as virtuous and what is held up as vicious is a, is a, a different grid than I was used to. And it helped me see that I, in fact, do have a grid and I'm not just seeing with clear eyes in this world. So yeah. I think that that could be a helpful, a helpful beat for us to learn from. Very good. Very good. Well, ongoing homework for us in the ongoing story of um, people who have power learning to follow the God of the oppressed. Uh, So thank you for joining us, everybody, today. Um, As we've uh, been saying, we want to continue these discussions and conversations. So please email us at brownlinechurch at gmail.com to talk more. Uh, Let us know uh, how we're doing or what you'd like to see next uh, from the midweek podcast experience at uh, Brownline Church. That's all that we have for this week, and we'll see you on Sunday. Bye-bye. Bye.